This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Welcome to Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. I'm Lane, and with me again is the... I've almost said the irredeemable. Oh, oh, the irredeemable. Oh, oh, oh wow. <laughs> the wonderful, probably redeemable Professor Allen. Hi. The irrepressible Professor Allen. There we go. How, that? How are you doing? Good. Good to see you again, Lane. Good to see you as well. We had a, a storm blow through our area a minute ago. We had to kind of see how that went. And then I had a noisy husband in the kitchen, so we had to uh. see how that went. As I told Professor Allen, this is why we threw the tea in the harbor. Because they were making too much noise with it in the kitchen while their wives were trying to record. <sighs> so true. So true. Exactly. At this point in our recording, a couple of our episodes have been released. So that's mm-hmm. kind of scary. I mean, that's kind of yeah. good. I think three of them are out now. Very good. Very good. Or is it good. two? Two, three, three, three. I believe it's three. Scary. I'm still standing no, by. two. <laughs> you're a librarian. You're not, you're not all that good with numbers. I understand this. If it were letters, you could put them in the right order. I get this. I that's get why, this. That's why I'd use Library of Congress and not Dewey Decimal. Boom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, starting to get our team up out there on the waves. Boom. I love it. I love it. And the internet hasn't imploded yet, hey! so I think we're okay. Some of the best comic books are team-up books. Right? The Marvel team-up, the Brave and the Bold, and many, many in between. And then you have the even rarer crossovers. Ooh. Do you think DC and Marvel would ever play nicely enough to do a crossover movie? I doubt it, but... No, they did some crossover comic books back in the day, but that was back when they were speaking to each other. Uh, so maybe the- under under new corporate ownership mm-hmm. and sort of less personal grudges. Yeah. <laughs> maybe there's a chance now. Because the first one was, uh, what, Superman and Spider-Man? Yep. And I, I read the blurb at the beginning with Stan Lee, and I forget the other person's mm-hmm. name, mm-hmm. Um, how they were actually friends. And they they mm-hmm. were like, hey, how about we do this? And it was amazing. Um, yeah, we just, we can't have nice things. That seems to be the way of things. Yeah. If you could magically create a team up or a crossover, who would you choose? So who would I team up with Dr. Doom? Okay, that, that's what <laughs> you're asking. Okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm, Starfire. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Or the Huntress. I really like the yep. Huntress. Yep. Um, did I mention Starfire? I think they would all be appropriate matches for Doctor Doom. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's 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 less crossover, more you no know, dating service. 
But it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of idea. I personally think Barbara Gordon would be a very good regent of a small European nation. I can see that. Just, I'm just saying. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, the first two that popped in my head would be Nightwing and Daredevil. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. seem like they would work well off each other. That would quickly turn into uh, Nightwing and Karen Page. Uh-huh. Or uh, Nightwing and uh, an Electra, or <laughs> Nightwing and it would it, w- it would basically be Nightwing stealing all of Daredevil's girlfriends, and right. he's had a few over the years. Mm-hmm. So Nightwing, Black Widow, yeah, that would not be bad. Now, when they inevitably fight when they first meet, would they just be like throwing batons at each other, and, <laughs> and they, people think they're like a juggling act on the street, and they start like throwing money at them? <laughs> I definitely think you have the opening scene of the movie, the cold open. <laughs> I think I'm onto something here. All right, so we're uh, continuing today. And with then, the f- no, but wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you if you did this movie, right? Would you write the novelization, and then would you cover it on the show, or would you let someone else write the novelization that you would then cover on the show, or would? You- oh, I'm so confused. <laughs> well, the only other novelization podcast I know of. Would be I read movies with Pax. See, there you yeah, go. Talk I, about crossovers. Uh huh. I think he could do it justice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, we got it planned out now. So we're continuing. You are, to- famili- you are familiar <laughs> with, with this concept of fan fiction, Lane. This could oh. happen. I'm just saying. Oh, I am totally aware of fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Don't search out Doctor Doom, Sue Storm. Because, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's all me. I'm just <laughs> saying a lot of it could theoretically, mm-hmm. possibly. Anyway, I've said too much. <laughs> and the the uh, archive of our own handle is I'm not Professor Allen. Huh. Well, see, whoever that person is, they're not. Obviously. So we're continuing today with the Forensic Files of Batman. By Doug Minch, and we're uh, covering the next two chapters, which aren't numbered, and Lane was too lazy to go through and number them ahead of time. So I'll just give you the titles. Uh, We're working on The Joker and the Profiler, and... Talk about a team-up! Yeah. And The Telltale Tattoo. I'm not sure the Profiler was ready for a team-up with Joker. I don't think anyone would be ready for a team-up with Joker. No, nope, 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 nope. Couple good chapters. the interview with Joker goes about how you would you would think. The Joker and the Profiler. Case file number 0023. Year 1. Month 4. Day 5. Annotated transcript of police interrogation. More than ever, I am now convinced that the behavioral science of psychological profiling is vastly overrated and overvalued as demonstrated by the following verbatim exchange between police profiler and true madman. Developed by the FBI at Quantico, profiling has achieved a mythical status it does not deserve. While of limited use in some cases and under certain circumstances, the process is almost entirely speculative, little more than educated fortune-telling and similarly based on statistical smoke and mirrors. But the myth dies hard. Volumes are written about the stunningly accurate predictions about unknown serial killers, including their natures, habits, and even future actions. 
but such accurate profiles are actually quite rare. Far more common are all wet predictions hung out to dry with little notice and no mention. We have two of the icons. We have a skull and a handgun, which stand for corpse or skeletal remains and the handgun used. So we're still in year one of Batman's existence, month four. He he's still he's still a newbie. He's still got the that new bat smell on his cape. He's just a baby. He's just a baby. Alfred still has to help him tie his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so the diary entry talks about how criminal profiling is given more credit than it deserves. You hear how it's used as a guide and shouldn't be used to rule out possible suspects. But we have shows like Criminal Minds and Mindhunter, which are both amazing shows. Especially Mindhunter is just very fascinating. They probably make would make Bruce Wayne grind his teeth at the inaccuracies, <laughs> inaccuracies I'm guessing. See, that's what I was thinking, because, you know, profilers, again, I, I know them mostly through TV. And I do wonder if that gives you, know, like, a skewed view of it, because mm -hmm. the character, the concept of the profiler is perfect for TV, because you have, or entertainment in general, because you can have one star who's the most important, the smartest person in the room, coming to the right conclusions, and, you know, all of that that you need in entertainment fiction. So even if the concept has fallen out of favor, like it seems to have done, or certainly Mensch, <laughs> Doug Mensch thinks so, or Batman thinks so. You know, I, I I can understand why it has held on so long in, right. in entertainment. And it, it, it may be one of those areas where our fictionalized versions have given us such a skewed and inaccurate portrayal. Right. You know, we had some of like the gumshoe detective radio stories in the 40s and you had mm -hmm. what, what Get Smart and just some of the fun cop shows. Right. Car 54. So you had some of the on-the-street-level detective. You had the, the cops running around. I didn't really watch – I have listened to the old radio shows, and I'm trying to remember. You get the, the crime and the scene. I don't know how much they usually show ahead of time. But what I'm getting at is like this, mm -hmm. the, the shows that we mentioned earlier, the, the Criminal Minds and Mindhunter, you usually see the crime and how it happened. You usually see maybe who is doing it. And then you cut over to the detective or the profiler and you see them getting closer to what we know. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that allows, I, I think that might be like a narrative sleight of hand to let them make jumps in logic that maybe they wouldn't jump. But we were like, yeah, that's exactly right. You're right. Mm -hmm. uh, because we know where they're supposed to be. So I wonder if subconsciously we accept these. Um, yeah, you're right. It, it is right. this person. I don't know. I'm just kind of reaching here. So No, I but I think Hollywood does not always tell us the truth. Is that what you're driving at, Lane? Because I, you know <laughs> I know. It's I'm I'm twisting your world on its ear, I know. <laughs> but yeah, it moves on to the transcription of an interview with the Joker, and the whole chapter is the profiler, I believe he's unnamed, interviewing the Joker. So you already probably have a good idea of how this goes. And Bruce jots down some interjections here and there. An interesting bit about his permanent grin. And it's something I've kind of mused on a bit in the past. It just it might have just been like a fleeting thought, um, just like the way his face is. So the profiler asks about it. And here Bruce writes in an interjection. 
and it says, oh, oh, let me back up. The profiler says, the exaggerated grin, it seems to be frozen in place. And then after that, Bruce writes, it is, suggesting permanent nerve damage. It may be that his skin has been more than bleached. It may have been seared. And I wonder if the Joker exists in a state of chronic pain. Interesting. I'm I'm not sure I've ever heard of that take before. Mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty interesting because it it is a very horrible facial expression. Mm -hmm. And it does it hurt all the time. Bruce is onto something here. Hmm. (laughs) That's an interesting insight. Yeah. I'm glad that Doug Minch teases that out a bit. So I think this first chapter is nothing but dialogue. So it is just ripe for a Rest in Peace Theater. Rest in Peace Theater is proud to present That Time Joker Gets Interviewed. And it goes exactly as you think. You've been charged with murdering nine people. Is that all? And wounding seven more. Gotta get out on that shooting reins. Sharpen the old aim. <laughs> Pretty bad when they're still squirming after the fifth shot. But pass the ammo anyway. The people you killed or injured shared little in common. Different physical types, different ages, weights, races, both genders, and all were strangers. How did you select your victims? Other than all having transparent windows, that's the standing issue, isn't it? Standing? If they can stand, they can fall. I ask nothing more of future meat. <laughs> With freshness thus assured, what hunter could resist? Then you're a hunter. You think of yourself as a predator. I think of myself as the clown prince of merry mayhem and murder's mirth. The scary trickster who makes you shriek. So what's your excuse? Your complete lack of remorse and empathy is noted. In fact, it's a given. Do you think you feel superior to other people? Feeling is thinking. A waste of time. And killing time is always more productive. But is that why you're able to kill people? Because they seem inferior to you? Not really people at all. More like animals. Just pray. I ain't about to get religion on this point, bub, so just pray yourself. If you could just drop the act for a minute, just between you and me, I want to ask you a serious question. I don't do serious. Let, let me ask you this, Lane. What is your experience with the Joker? He's been in lots of movies. So how mm-hmm. many of those have you seen? And have you run across him in your comic book reading? Sort of. And, and, and to some extent, other than my mellifluous tones, you know, was there a voice in your head of the Joker when you were reading this? Uh, for me, it was Mark Hamill mm-hmm. from Batman, the animated series. Yeah, I think he's the voice for me as well, because he also did the voices in, in the Arkham games. Ah, okay, right. Yeah. Now, I've only, um, and this might stun people who would think, well, you're, you're a Batman fan, but I actually have very little experience with the animated series. I've only seen a handful mm-hmm. of episodes. I will remedy that. Um, it might be a project, <laughs> like doing reactions or something, but just setting that aside. So I have seen him in a few, like one or two of the animated shows, seen him in all the movies that he's been in, 
uh, the anime or the the sixty six TV right. show. And I actually but if it's the games, but if 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 it's the games that you know that is your main touchstone, you know that's fine too. I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they do like a really interesting job with him. It's inter- It's I think I've been lucky in in getting like a really rounded look at him because you have the the campy sixties one. You mm-hmm. have the um, the animated or yeah the animated one that airs a little bit more on the PG side. All the different interpretations of the mo- movies, in which I think the movie The Joker with uh, Joaquin Phoenix was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you kind of put in your mind that this is just an interpretation and not you know canon, right. and I thought that was a, a really interesting movie. Um, I read like the very first couple issues that he showed up in in the 40s, I believe, the early mm-hmm. 40s. Right. Um, I don't remember them well because it's been a few years. But other than that, I haven't come across him a lot. And I've been reading a lot of comics this year. <laughs> uh, just I've just been powering through them. Marvel, DC, Red Silver Surfer, a lot of Daredevil, Spider-Man, Batman, obviously, Batgirl. Not a whole lot of... Joker has crossed my path yet. I'm, I know it will, but <laughs> now I, I know that you recently acquired the prose short story collection, The Further Adventures of Batman. Mm-hmm. Did you know that there also exists the Further Adventures of the Joker? I did know that. Yeah, because right. there's a website, and I linked it before, mm-hmm. like way mm-hmm. back, that has like all the the. Novels and novelizations of Batman right. and, and DC, and it's a great resource. A couple people have, like messaged me on Twitter, like, "Hey, like, where where do I find a list of books?" And I'll send them that way. Mm, good, but uh, yeah, I was really surprised, and I, I I'm really bad about writing down comments. Um, like people comment to me on mm-hmm. Twitter, and I appreciate and love all of you. Uh, but when I posted the image of that book i was really surprised at Mm -hmm. the amount of traffic that like oh yeah i love this book it's wonderful and and so it really has me looking forward to to this book because of all the photos of books i've posted the past few years i've been on twitter i think that one by far got the most traffic (laughs) i'm saying this with no research or confirmation but my memory is that both of those collections were released in and around the 89 movie Mm-hmm. So as part of uh, that version of, of Batmania. Okay. Yeah. That was a, a good year for Batman. Mm-hmm. And a good year for comics in general, because it really, I think, pole vaulted comics into uh, a more gritty age. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was good stuff. Good stuff. So uh, there are parts that, of the interview that Bruce actually admits because it's obvious to him that the Joker is lying or joking. But the interviewer believed what he was saying, and Bruce says that it, it led to some five minutes of dead-end questioning, here omitted w- w- along with a brief and meaningless discussion of the Joker's father. Both subjects are potentially valuable avenues, but only if mm-hmm. explored by a more skilled interrogator. Mm-hmm. Burn. That interrogator got burned <laughs> by Batman and doesn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we kind of knew who the profiler was, but that's, that's yeah. probably not important yeah. like in the grand scheme of things. There was a uh, there was a reference in there. I can't. I'm not finding it here, but uh, I think it's when 
the profiler asks him to drop the act. Uh-huh. We get Bat- Batman's um, comment that, you know, this is not an act. His dementia is real. Yeah. And it's interesting because in the last, you know, 20 years or so since this book was published, I think the word dementia has really narrowed its focus, mm-hmm. you know, from, from meaning sort of more broadly, um, you know, a constellation of mental issues, uh, really specifically to, you know, Alzheimer's related right. and, and you know, uh, yeah. things of things afflicting, you know, memory issues for the elderly. But at this point, dementia was just a little bit more of a general Mm -hmm. psychological term. Yeah, kind of synonymous with insane or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, But it makes sense that you didn't mention it because like the D prefix kind of denotes that it was initially like if someone Mm -hmm. uh, um, demented, if something is destabilized, that implies that it was stable before, but then becomes less so. So ah, okay. demented might be that right. they they did have you know mentis compass <laughs> and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. eventually that uh, deteriorated and again deteriorate you know that that mm-hmm. might be uh, right yeah yeah so anyway yeah so I I didn't know that it has narrowed to just mean Alzheimer's or you know people losing their faculties later in life but it makes sense now yeah, or, or at least at least that's just the context that I tend to. to- Hear the word used. Yeah, I, I agree with that because it seems like oh, you're you're a demented person. You, you used to hear that back in the day, and now it's only right. I've only really hear it when you know this person is suffering from dementia. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. good catch, good catch. Yeah, we we hear the much more common like you know nutsy cuckoo. Uh huh. No, 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 that's not. <laughs> like the cuckoo for cocoa puffs. <laughs> <laughs> So all this while that the the profiler is talking to him, and Harvey Bullock made the arrest, and Joker's like, you know, that clumsy oaf couldn't arrest me, couldn't arrest his own fetid breath, which I like the the, the, the pun there, couldn't arrest his breath, so he couldn't arrest his breath, like and take into custody, but he also couldn't stop, wouldn't stop mm-hmm. his breath, which I think is a very Jokery pun there. Yep, yep. So Joker's saying like, no, it was the Batman that turned me over to Bullock. But interestingly, uh, the profiler doesn't believe he he still thinks that he's a an urban legend, which again right. makes sense because he's early on in his year here. Yeah, the Joker actually seems to believe in this Batman character. Mm-hmm. A gargoyle coming to life, a giant bat swooping down out of the night sky. Surely that's just a myth, a figment of criminal imagination. Yep. But we know better. Yes, we do. So Joker believes in, in the Batman, and uh, he is angry. The only thing that really gets him angry is that uh, Batman caught him earlier than he thought he should have been caught. <laughs> he cheated. He, he cheated. cheated. <laughs> and uh, Batman, or Bruce kind of writes a couple paragraphs here, several paragraphs, talking about how he found him he basically using a laser light to uh, trace mm-hmm. the trajectory of the bullet one interesting bit of that is they said that the victim uh him or herself mm-hmm. is actually not a good indicator of the path of the bullet because mm-hmm. they may have slumped or right. fallen over that could be deceptive if you're thinking that yeah. that is the path that's the path of the bullet you, you use the angles through the like through the glass good point yeah and like that's not really something i considered before Mm -hmm. reading this chapter it's just one of those things it's like oh of course you know that like when you think about it it makes perfect logical sense it just Mm -hmm. needed to be 
you know, kind of put in front of you. Um, and also because Joker was such a bad shot that, you know, Batman talks about that he sometimes had two or three bullet holes to work with right. to help mm-hmm. pinpoint the, uh, the trajectory. Mm-hmm. And, and then w- with that, you can triangulate to a, you know, pretty accurate location of, you know, where, where all those, you know, sort of reverse, you know, you know, so you use laser beams to, you know, track back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where they converge, you have a pretty good, pretty good idea of where those shots are coming from. Yeah. I think the icon handgun used, I think they narrowed themselves too much because I believe he used a, like a sniper rifle, didn't he? Or some kind of rifle? Yeah, I would think. Yeah. Because yeah, if he could hit anybody with a handgun from that kind of distance, then yeah. I, I, I did, quit looking at the forensic icons. I don't think there's another. You know, there's only one, but it should have been more broadly, you know, gun used mm-hmm. as opposed to handgun specific. That's a good point. Dear Mr. Minch. <laughs> For the 20th anniversary reprint coming up in a few years. <laughs> Please do not make this glaring error once again. <laughs> you have annoyed a librarian in Ohio. Oh. And her professor sidekick. Uh-huh. There we go. Gonna have the wrath of us on on your tail. <laughs> We're just kidding. We love this book. But you had anything else popping up in this well, chapter? This is, well, just this is you know the the you know the end of this. You know the location was a storage attic of a fun house in Gotham's abandoned amusement uh-huh. park. Of and course. I just want to yeah, I just want to point out to you that uh, you know as you dig more and more. Into the comic books, uh, especially of Batman, uh, Lane, you're going to come to realize that Gotham has entire districts of abandoned amusement parks, abandoned warehouses, abandoned old-time movie houses. Uh, (laughs) If it's an abandoned building of any sort that you need, Gotham City is the place to find it. Nice. You know, I have a bit of a love of urban exploration of urban spelunking. Mm-hmm. I have, there have been a couple times my friend and I have gone down to Portsmouth. There was like a really cool abandoned building down there. Um, and we went exploring in there. It was mm-hmm. five levels. One of the levels just had hundreds of colorful balls, like rubber balls everywhere. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> this is where the children died. Um, <laughs> it's the ball pit from hell. Yes, it was really. Unfortunately, they, they tore it down because we we wanted to go back again because we got some great pictures mm-hmm. in there. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I I would probably be some sap who runs accidentally into Joker at, in some abandoned building because <laughs> I wanted to take pictures and I would be dead before um, before Batman got yep. his first Robin. So, yeah. On on, on this, um, just on uh, the way this chapter ends, uh, I, I, I have to mention because Batman, no surprise, not the funniest character in comics. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, he's no ambush bug. And I wouldn't even put Doug Mensch, as much as we've said positive things about him, mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider him the funniest writer in comic books. He's no Tom Zoller. Uh-huh. But this last line, note to self, explore improvements <laughs> to Arkham security. Yeah. I literally LOL'd out loud. Nice. That, that, <laughs> that is funny. 
It was. It's one of those, and I'm. I'm guessing it was. Well, I don't know. I won't. I won't assume that it was an unintentional funny moment because it was probably very intentionally unintentionally funny. I guess. I don't know. I think it was the author stretching his humor bone as much as he could with uh, yes. this character, this particular yes. character. <laughs> and and so. again, it's not. It's obviously it's not Bruce being funny. That no. I don't think we're gonna get. No. It is just our. It's it. It's almost. Me- I mean, it's it. It is the definition of metatextual. Uh huh. It's it's us as readers, knowing what is to come uh-huh. in the life and career of Batman that makes that a hilarious line. So basically, what we're saying is, Doug Minch, we see what you did there. <laughs> exactly. That is <laughs> that is it. Exactly, Lane. Well done. Well done. Telltale tattoo. Case file number 0039, year 1, month 6, day 3, from the private files of the Batman. Gunpowder tattooing refers to the stippled marks of partially burned propellant soot driven into human skin shot at close range. Obliquely related to, but not at all the same as, ballistics evidence, such tattooing has just decoded the truth behind a carefully orchestrated public execution. So the next chapter, Telltale Tattoo, and I thought we were going to get a story about a tattoo, but this that's is actually what I thought. yeah, that's a little disappointing about them, but it's okay, we're fine. I, I I don't know if it was the case in two thousand four uh, when this book was being written, but now um, police jurisdictions, I assume it's you know, linked up through a national network, have a database of tattoos oh. you know that's oh. something that they note when someone is brought right. in for you mm-hmm. know for their mugshot you know yeah. a notation of you know has this tattoo and this body part yeah because that can be a tremendous you know tremendous id tool mm-hmm. are you going to tell us where your dr doom tattoo is oh it's it's everywhere like <laughs> it's everywhere <laughs> So that's not even your face I'm looking at. It. That's just like the tattooed <laughs> face of Doctor Doom there. They did a I good job. The, I've got the map of Latveri on my. <laughs> you can say elbow. It's okay. Jeez, veering off course seems to be something I'm. We're, I'm, we're good at. I think we just work well together like that. <laughs> but it's not actually a tattoo. It's the uh, gunpowder stippling mm-hmm. that we get. Uh, powder burns, and that is you know what the icon is for for this chapter. So the case that Bruce discusses here is with a nine millimeter handgun, and the victim is a wealthy drug lord murdered in public on a street while his bodyguard was at his side. I actually find this case really interesting. So I I, I I I thought this one was great. Yeah, just very, just very as smart. just as a mystery as yeah. a case. Yeah, and just it doesn't have to be a big villain. We get like a big villain like Scarecrow or Joker, and then we get like these just just mm-hmm. normal everyday crimes. And I I think that's a great balance. So witnesses reported a speeding car, possibly with two gunshots, right, one right on top of the other. So they happened so closely together that most people heard one gunshot, and some people said there might have been two. 
Did you mention the icon at the start of this one? I, I did. Like once I talked about powder, okay. I went back and said that the, the, ah, yeah, okay. the icon <laughs> is the powder. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. Yes. I did it very quickly. So, yeah. So we have 18 witnesses who give this statement. So that should be a pretty solid bit of information there. All of them were saying that no one was within 20 feet of the victim except the unarmed bodyguard. Hmm. So we get Coroner Gunt again. I think he was the one mentioned earlier. <laughs> yep. Uh, he, he mentions the gunshot tattoo. And this is stippling. Uh, Bruce mentions that it only happens within a certain range. If if the if there's basically muzzle to skin contact, there won't be any because it doesn't have room to blow out. And if it's too far away from the victim, there'll be no stippling because it doesn't reach them. One of the things I liked about this, I mean, this puts us about a third of the way through the book. Uh-huh. So, we, you know, no idea what's what's to come. But I like the way that these two chapters are placed back to back. Like you say, we have, you know, a major villain. And then we have, you know, more anonymous street level uh, situation. But it's basically it, it it's your two versions of using uh, using a firearm. Right. We have the law. We have the sniper mm-hmm. direct. You know, uh, uh, immediately followed by the close range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, we try to get an idea of like what next chapters we read. We don't always know that they're going to match up. We just think mm-hmm. we, we go by length mm-hmm. of chapters. Basically, right. we almost said three, but the th- the chapter after this is quite a deal longer. Yeah. So it, they just are placed nicely together, and so far it's it's helped us out and as readers. So yeah, when when Batman reads about stippling in the in the coroner report, this raises his suspicions. So he goes to Gordon and asks permission. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Who more are like you and what have you done with Batman? Exactly. I think it's more of a. I'm going to do this. You can either say okay, or I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> Basically. Well, yeah, he asked Gordon's permission. They're, they're friends, so I'm sure it was like a, just a, what's the word I'm looking for? A nicety. But he um, asks permission to pursue the matter, and Gordon says yes. So Bruce conducts a standard series of test firings. And of course, he hates the feel of the 9mm in his hand. <laughs> the shots, he, he mentions that the shots were very loud and reverberating in the cave. And I'm imagining that the bet, the bats left an extra layer of poop on the Batmobile for that. <laughs> Is that your impression as well? We, we may have a guano situation. Yeah. Alfred better get out the Windex. Hello. Yeah. Sorry, Alfred. The tests were to try to achieve the level of tattooing that were found on the victim. And through trying different distances and comparing the results, Bruce figures that the gun had to be between four and six inches from the victim. So since parked cars block the curb at the murder scene, the closest a drive-by could have gotten was at least 15 feet. Something's not adding up here. Nobody was within 20 feet, we said, right? Except the unarmed bodyguard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the suspect. Bruce believes that this bodyguard was probably hired as an assassin. This turns out to be the case, and his 9mm had been removed from the scene by an accomplice during the commotion just before police arrived. Now, this is where I I thought this chapter was really smart. 
Because of these statements about the drive-by, the detectives didn't even bother with performing a gunshot residue on the on the bodyguard because, you know, they figured it was a drive-by shooting. Right. There were eight, 18 witnesses who said so. But because they didn't, they lost that opportunity forever. And Bruce writes, this test should and must be routine, which Gordon agrees with and wants to make it standard procedure. Though I, I wonder where the cutoff is for who would be tested. You know, because right. there were, if there's one person there, okay, that's, you're, you're going to test that one person. But what if those 18 witnesses were within a right. short distance? Like, mm. how eager would the taxpayers be to foot, you know, these levies? Because these tests aren't very cheap, I'm sure. Um, especially when you're, you know, running them willy nilly. Yeah. What's the, what's the threshold? Right. For deciding that we're going to run this test on you and you, but not you and you. Right. And I'm imagining there's some like that you'd have to get a warrant if a person didn't want that test run, like a like DNA swabs. Mm. A person can refuse yeah. that, and so yeah, I think it's a good idea in theory, but I think actually pulling it off would be a little bit harder. But anyway, so the best that the GCPD can do with this bodyguard now is to put him under surveillance. The man starts spending more money than he should have at his disposal. But there's still no proof that he was hired to kill. So Gordon assigns an undercover police officer, I believe unnamed, where the bodyguard liked to go. Did I say where he went? He assigns an undercover police officer to go to the tavern where the bodyguard likes to go. And it takes more than a month, which probably isn't all that bad for someone working undercover. Right. But eventually the bodyguard, after getting a little lubed up with alcohol, admits to, to the undercover cop that he had scored large for capping a guy. And the cop was wearing a wire. So they don't have any accomplices. They don't have who hired him. But they basically have the bodyguard's confession. Right. Uh, so now they have a little leverage against him. Um, so they, they arrest him and they con- confront him with the the confession. And the bodyguard slash assassin ends up taking a plea to avoid the death penalty. The drive-by reported by witnesses actually did happen. And this is where I mm-hmm. thought was, I was like, yes. oh, this is, this is great. Do you want to talk about that? In return for judicial consideration, he admitted that the drive-by shot fired harmlessly high mm-hmm. served as a combined diversion an alibi staged by his second accomplice. The distant fall shot, in other words, covered up the bodyguard's certain death close shot. Smart. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So they did have all these witnesses whose attention is grabbed by the speeding car and the shots coming from there. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty clever. And he would have gotten away with it. If, if it, it weren't, weren't for, for that her meddling, meddling Batman. <laughs> nice. Because it turns out he's, in fact, an evil real estate developer. Uh-huh. <laughs> because that's what every Scooby-Doo villain was. Right. There was an episode of Supernatural that was animated and they mixed yes. with, with uh, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. Oh, well, in your, in, in your comic book reading lane, you need to eventually, I'm not saying on your list right away, but the Batman Scooby Doo team up from the last few years. There's, I think, uh, uh, well, ever since uh, you know they're trying to coordinate the DC Comics and the Warner Brothers, so yes. there have been a number of these types of 
of crossovers. I did read the Batman Elmer Fudd crossover, and it yes. was amazing. <laughs> there it was- is, I, yeah, I think Batman Scooby Doo is a twelve issue miniseries. My, I believe they are completely, you know, disconnected stories. So uh-huh. if you find one, give it a read. Nice. Yeah, I, I love stuff like that. And the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle six issue series, I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Elmer Fudd one, I actually got it and um, read it. I was really working through a really deep depression because, like, the year before my mother had passed, and I was still working through that. And so it was like one of the first times I laughed in a long yeah, time. I gotcha. And um, so I, I brought it into work with me because one of my best friends actually worked with me. And um, he came in and I said, all right, I'm going to go on my lunch break. You need to read this because <laughs> you know, it's a quick read. So I, I go yes. off on my lunch break and uh, I come back and he he's walking back toward me with the issue in his hand with like this flabbergasted look on his face. And he's like, what did I just read? When I get you read magic friend, you med rat, you read magic. <laughs> but yeah, we had a good laugh about it. It's, it's just wonderful. I, did you read any of the others? Wasn't there like wonder woman and the Tasmanian devil or something? I, I read a handful of them. I can't remember which ones, uh, but the, Elmer Fudd, that one, that one uh, stands out to me. The fact that Elmer Fudd almost got the drop on Batman. You remember with like the gun slung over his uh, shoulder. I, he's you're, a, you're, he, he is an experienced hunter. He is. And he's, anyway, he's used to going up against prey, almost as smart as possibly smarter than <laughs> Batman. I'm just saying. I, I could probably do a whole episode just on that issue, but anyway, we digress <laughs> again. There was a point in here that I thought was interesting. We get the idea that for this guy, he he, he pleads, and you know, uh, 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 you know, rolls over on his accomplices mm-hmm. because life in prison is better than the death penalty, right? Which means that whatever state this is does have a death penalty. Mm-hmm. Not say what you know the whether that should exist or or or, or whether it it should be used or used or not. But I think that's odd because. There are plenty of people in Gotham who've deserved this, right? I'm just saying, if it exists, uh-huh. and if it is a threat enough that this person, mm-hmm. which means they must use it at least on occasion, yeah. If it's if it if it's a legitimate threat to this bad guy, that's a really good point. And it how also- come it's never used? <laughs> because yeah, but- <laughs> there are a few there are a few folks I could think of, right. Yeah, and they they probably would talk about like uh, being mentally incompetent to stand trial, yada yada yada, Arkham That's Asylum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it begs the question: How far is Batman's creed of not killing? How far is he willing to take that? Mm. Would he like? Would that give him pause about bringing someone to justice, knowing that they're going to die because that you know on the on death row, you know it might be years down right. the line. They might get appeals. They might this that and the other. But would that, um, if there is indeed the death penalty in whatever state they're in, New York, um, <laughs> would they, would he think if I capture this guy and bring the mm-hmm. evidence to Gordon and he goes to prison, he might right. go to the gas chamber and get a needle in his arm. Would that keep him up at night? Well, he's already That's up it. at night cause he's on the rooftops, but would it keep him up in the morning? I, I, I imagine that story has to have been told at some point. It has to have been addressed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm not familiar with it offhand. So yeah, well, if I come across though. that, yeah, yeah if it's I come an across interesting question though, yeah. So the, yeah, the assassin gives up a name, and they in turn give up another name. And who does it end up being? The dead man's son was the yeah. culprit. He hired all the bad guys because his greed and excessive lifestyle were deemed more important than his wealthy father's life. Yeah, he is all about that green. Mm-hmm. Let that be a lesson. Never get wealthy. <laughs> I. Uh, that's a lesson I've been following to the letter all my life. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I wonder if, like, if, if they, this guy already had money and uh, an extravagant lifestyle. I mean, his dad is the drug lord doing all the work. Why not just keep grifting off of him? Just saying. Some people just don't think things through. You know, but but you know, in in in, in thinking about this, you know, one alternative to you know, using uh, the death penalty, as he said, would be. Uh, to explore improvements in Arkham security. Uh-huh. It all comes around, Lane. It all comes around. <laughs> there we go. If you figure out one of those, then you don't need the other one. Exactly. <laughs> so Bruce ends up th- ends this entry by saying uh, that they're awaiting multiple trials, but as far as he's concerned, the case is closed on his end. That is that. So a good couple chapters. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is, from from what we know, Gotham City, obviously the most upstanding and clean police force, and I imagine the judiciary is mm-hmm. also similarly non-corrupt. So I have full faith that uh, this gentleman will be uh, tried properly and fairly, and the professionalism of the uh, Gotham PD and the D- district attorney's office will uh, um, z- and, uh, boy, never mind. Yeah, we keep weaving that t- fairy tale. <laughs> Though is is Harvey Dent two faced by this point in Batman's career? Spoilers! I looked ahead to the next chapter. Oh, the next oh. chapter <gasps> is called "Too Much Something or Another." I literally the- just looked at that. <laughs> That's like so they I'm spelled pre- they spelled two wrong. Wait a minute! I'm <laughs> pretty sure I know what we're talking about next episode. <laughs> you got to get up at least a few minutes before noon to get one past Lane. Boom. <laughs> so yeah, this next section is actually fairly lengthy. So do we want to just do that one for the next time? Uh, maybe we can do that one in the short one after it. And that one in the maybe, in the short yeah. one after that. I think yeah, we a can short do that one after that. Yeah, we'll do that. So Before we'll be doing we get to the next good sized one. Too two. much evidence and finger furrows. So fingerprinting, I would assume. Although they tricked us on the uh, tattooing one, so uh-huh. you never know. You would never it be know. Bill finger furrows? <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe not. Uh Lane, 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 Lane. <laughs> oh, you know your li- your life was poorer before you met me. <laughs> All right, that's what we got for this time around. Uh, want to remind, and I, I need to get a couple of your promos, and I can stick them in here. You want to give where our people can find you or contact you if they would like. Yes, thank you. Most of our work is done at the relatively geeky podcast network the home of such podcasts as the quarterbin podcast mm-hmm. the inflation is gonna make that great inflation uh-huh. oh the uh 
the Comics Reading Journal, mm-hmm. Doom Speak, and the very occasional, but fingers crossed, maybe, Short Box Showcase. Nice. Nice. Lots of good projects going on over there. And as always, it's a pleasure to chat with you. You as well. Thank you for listening to Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose. If you'd like to send me a message, comments, questions at darknightprose at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a rating or review. Until next time, Gothamites. Happy reading. Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger.